was uh, working at a Holiday Inn. Uh, it was a uh, hotel and restaurant. Uh, the place was tough. It was extremely stressful. It was hot. It was hard. There was workers' strife. There was competition between everybody. Every night of the week, it went on and on. It was go, go, go. From 4 in the afternoon till 2 a.m., six days a week, that's 60 hours, 40 bucks take home. I worked really hard at that job. But the boss liked me, and he promoted me. Not only did I have to wash the pots and pans, but I got to help cook as well. It was like double the work, but with hope. I came home tired, dirty. I smelled like grease and depressed. Mom would say, there, there, sweetheart. Have a nice hot bath and a good night's sleep, and you'll feel better in the morning. She was right. Good old mom. Now, Israel was 480 years in the Promised Land, which also was a tough place. And the work was hard, but finally the effort was bearing fruit. And they were united and ready for the next chapter. For them, Solomon was about to become king, and he was about to bring the temple into being, building the temple. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 8. We're going to read verses 41 through 43. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 41 through 43. Read along with me in your pew Bible. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray towards this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. So do whatever the foreigner asks you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house that I have built bears your name. Let's pray. Father, we uh, love the the picture uh, in the, the first chapters of the book of Kings, Lord, and uh, we, we marvel at what you have done with your people to bring them from a ragtag bunch of refugees, literally, uh, into a nation in the, the, in the promised land and to have uh, uh, the son of David uh, take upon himself the responsibility of building your house, for, which is a promise that you made to them, Lord. So we pray this morning as we look at this, that you will be able to uh, help us apply these lessons to our own lives, our own situation. So, Lord, we're grateful for your leadership, and we pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the scene that we uh, just read uh, from 1 Kings is the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon is praying to God in a spirit of gratitude for what has gone on in the past and hope to what he is looking forward to for the future. From 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. 
Now you add 20 years to that, and you have the moment of Solomon's prayer in 957 B.C. Since entering the land of promise, there has been many trials, many defeats, and moments of unfaithfulness. But at the same time, there have been great victories, faithful testimony, and restoration of God's people. Hard work preceded the temple building, and hard work would follow. God has worked in the hearts and minds of his people to produce glory and to demonstrate his will and desire for a people who are refined like precious gold. This moment that is recorded in the book of Kings marks the time when, made, when God made good on his promise, that if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple. And when he did that, and when he prayed, the priests and the Levites began to bring in the furniture that had been in the tabernacle and scattered about Israel for many years. In that moment, it says, the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. A moment that is glorious, great, and terrible for the people of Israel. And it's deeply meaningful for the children of Israel and for Solomon but you know, it's also a great moment for Israel's neighbors. Many non-Jews would be attracted to the Lord over the years through his wild, widely known deeds and fame. They were to be allowed to worship and acknowledge God's saving power along with Israel. And many would hear and respond, as had Rahab the Canaanite. The widow of Zarephath, Ruth the Moabite, the queen of Sheba, Naaman the Syrian. You see, the Lord's house was to be a house of prayer for all nations. And even though that became developed in time, it was always the case that that was to be so for planet Earth. That Israel in the land and God in their midst was to be a beacon to the nations, that God has not forgotten, that God has forgiven, and God is calling all the people to come and worship at his house. The idea of old and new temples is with us still. Back then, the promise that the temple would be built by David's son is not exhausted once Solomon constructs constructs a house filled with the glory of God. That promise is anticipated in a greater son of King David. Of course, we're speaking of our Lord Jesus, who would appear as a legitimate heir and successor of David, and so build 
the eternal temple of God. Not a place of stone and mortar, as beautiful as it was, and as beautiful as the second temple was, and as poor as the beginning of the second temple uh, when the children came back from Babylon. As great as those buildings were, they do not hold a candle to what Jesus is putting together for the glory of his Father. The themes of God's glory dwelling among his people, of David's son constructing a worship place for God's people, a place for God's presence to be made manifest and find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, his vision in Revelation 21 of heaven is of the new Jerusalem without a temple, for Jesus himself is the temple. The symbolism of God dwelling among his people will come to pass, just as the original paradise was a place where man and God commune together. So the ultimate paradise is a place of eternal communion between man and God through Jesus Christ. The dwelling place of God will be with his people forever and ever. So this is a glorious thing, but you know there's, there's, there's more glory associated with this whole idea. Uh, and it comes by way of an evangelical spirit. I know the word's only recently been invented, but... Uh, the reality of it, the, the truth of that spirit has been with God's people for as long as they've been around. The idea that they are there for a purpose, that they are there to bear testimony, to demonstrate the glory of God, the power of his mighty right arm to save, and the power of his spirit to find people broken and sinful and then repair them and heal them and raise them up to be God's holy, sanctified people. Evangelical spirit of the children of Israel was a real thing. Moses, speaking of the law, says this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all of these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And it will stand out among the nations of the ancient East. And it will become a beacon to the, to the oppressed, to the lost, to the strangers, to the widows, to the orphans. And it will beckon them to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, and make their dwelling place there in that place. First Kings, it records the, the response of Hiram, the king of Tyre and Sidon, right? A Phoenician, a Canaanite. They, it responds, it uh, records his response to the news that Solomon is going to rebuild the temple, or to build the first temple. It says, as soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. As someone who was the king of a people who had seen Israel as the enemy is now rejoicing. He is rejoicing in the renown of God Almighty in his name 
he is glorying. The prophet remarks, Isaiah 26, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the soul's desire. In Isaiah 42, I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will take hold of your hand, and I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. And finally, from our passage today, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as you do as do your own people Israel, that, and may know that this house that I have built bears your name. So this idea of what Solomon is doing, building that temple, is for himself, it is for the people of Israel to have God dwelling in their midst, but it's also for the sake of the rest of the planet, all the people who will see Israel and see the glory of God in their midst will want some of that and will come and see. How can we apply these uh, principles to ourselves today? Well, it's, uh, it's not impossible, but very often I think uh, things get a little confused. When we think of, of uh, uh, building a temple or restoring a temple, right, we're thinking of bricks and mortar. But scripture always goes from the, from the bricks and mortar to the spiritual the, the, uh, the spiritual temple that is being built by Jesus, right? So there's a, there's a kind of a, a, a movement from, from uh, matter to spirit there that we need to understand. When we speak about restoring the temple, we are talking about not repainting or b- rebuilding, but we are talking about renewing ourselves, right? We're talking about ornamenting ourselves not with fresh paint or fresh mortar or fresh bricks or or whatever, but with things like goodness and mercy and faithfulness. These are the decorations of God's holy temple. They're the things that make it glorious and wonderful to behold, right? So when we speak of restoring, we're talking about first renewing God's people and everything that they are about all the ways in which they are faithful to God and the way they carry out their mandate for God's purpose. And so all the things that we desire that Jesus has for us in our salvation and through our being filled with God's spirit, all those things we desire and we want. And so we will be righteous, we will be pure, we uh, we will be prepared for that day when Jesus returns. And along with that, we will have said, Look, Lord, I had this talent that you gave me, and look, I, I, I increased it. I, I worked hard, and I doubled it for you. And the Lord will look down and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Just like he said in that, that parable so long ago. It's the idea of preparing ourselves for the work of God's Holy Spirit in us to the planet Earth. So we regard all the things that are about us. For instance, uh, our building, nice old building, uh, built in 1865. There was a, a building here before that uh, that it was either incorporated in this building or torn down and they used the bits to build what we see today. Uh, but they were, practicing a, they were practicing a good Christian virtue of being good stewards, right? They, they had something and they didn't throw it away, but they used it, they incorporated it into this new building. Since then, things have uh, uh, degraded a bit. Uh, 
as age and gravity and inertia and all those things uh, uh, interface with matter, it tends, to, uh, it tends to break things down over the years. Now, as good stewards of what God has given us, being good stewards of what faithfulness has provided in the past towards the future, we need to look at this building and say, what can we do to maintain it uh, and to, uh, to bring it to such a point as it speaks well of the people who dwell in it? Right? So uh, we could think that this meeting house or this church building is just a shelter. It's a place, but a place that accommodates the gathering of God's people where God has planted them and where he and they meet together. As such, it provides a facade or a representation for what goes on inside. You know, it might seem trivial in the more, uh, you know, and compared to the more important mission of the church, but to the community in which the structure stands, it is the enduring face of the people whose place this is. It is God's house for God's people. It's been here forever. The tabernacle and then the temple were always a symbol of God's covenant presence among his people. Where the temple is, that is where God is and his people are gathered around it. It is also a symbol of the presence of God's people among the nations. Because it's not somewhere else, it's, it's here. It's where the people are. God's people bearing testimony to God's power amongst their neighbors. As Jesus lived among us as the ultimate outreach, so also we live among the people to whom we are called and to be a testimony. A presence that is at once a righteous, reconciled people and good news to our neighbors. How we live, where we live, and the face we present is important to our mission to be salt and light. Right now, today, we present a face that is tattered and bruised and missing bits, very much like your pastor here. All these things witness marks of long labor and many battles, badges of ancient presence, but not signs of imminent death. Take this moment to think about healing what has gone on, right? All the, the, the knocks and the bruises and the scrapes and the places where there's paint missing and little bits missing, you know, to try to spend some time and put some effort into presenting it in such a way as it represents what's going on on the inside to God's people. Let us prepare to renovate our old faithful building and prepare it for many more years of faithful service. But let's not simply prepare the meeting house for God's people and neglect the hearts and minds of God's precious ones. Let us also renew ourselves for the great work that is before us. Let us build upon the faithfulness of generations past and the good work that has already been done by renewing our vision for a faithful future. Let us prepare our gifts, our talents, our understanding, until, as Paul says, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to complete maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Today is a, what we call a soft lunch 
soft, soft lunch. And it might be nice to get some soft lunch, too. But a soft launch of our stewardship campaign. Uh, we're, we're putting together plans. We have uh, three committees in place. We have a stewardship committee. We have a, uh, we have a, a, a construction committee. And we have a prayer team. And they're all raring to go to uh, put together this plan to renovate the outside of the building to scrape the paint or replace what wood needs to be replaced and to make this place glow. To glow in such a way as it reflects the glow that we have in Christ our Lord, right? So we want to have a good face to present to the community. We want, to, we want them to see this place that they think of fondly as part of the geography of where they live, part of the environment that they have grown up with. Uh, uh, the, the sameness of it, the, the location of it, the fact that it's always there is a comfort to people in the neighborhood. So we would like to present it to them, uh, reflecting the way it's always been, always there, always looking nice, always representing the people that are inside. So preparations are being made restoration and renewal, building on God's faithfulness, plans to renovate our old building's exterior, along with plans to renew ourselves, as my mom would say, a nice bath and a good night's sleep to feel better in the morning, a restoration, if you will. We're reminded that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Proposing a campaign of one year for a pledge commitment of three years so that we can begin to renovate the exterior of our meeting house as soon as possible. And while we are doing that, to unite in prayer and service so that our exterior, our, our exterior all bright and glorious, will match our insides of people reconciled and sanctified to God and Jesus Christ. A renewal is not a repudiation of the past, but it is the proper response of good stewards to receive gratefully what has gone on before, care for it, and build upon it to the glory of God. Here is the essence of the temple imagery, the majesty, the awesomeness, the weightiness, the purity, the brilliance of God will be seen in the body of Christ. He has triumphed over the curse. He is brought to, brought to the dust of death, but seeing no corruption has at last risen and is our new temple, the true temple. In Psalm 122, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The joy of the psalmist here was an anticipation of going to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem to worship God and give thanks to the name above all names. But the joy of the Savior is the anticipation of gathering his people into the new Jerusalem, where they will behold his glory. They will see his face and will bask in the sunshine of his glory, no longer hidden under a tent of meeting, like the glory in the tabernacle, 
or behind a veil like the glory in the temple, or behind a clapboard facade like the Orthodox Congregational Church in Lanesville, or coated with flesh like the glory in the incarnate body of Christ, but ablaze with light in the resurrection splendor of the exalted Savior. At last, Jesus, the true temple. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Renewal and restoration, building on God's faithfulness. Let's pray.